as we begin tonight, let me pray for us. This is a prayer from um, 500 years old from Thomas Cranmer. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. How much would you pay to hear God speak to you directly? How much would you pay? Do you know what the going rate was in the ancient world for hearing God speak directly? 100 sheep. 100, no, not 100 sheep, no. Uh, no, it's seven books and seven sheep. <laughs> uh, and a long, long journey to the town of Cumai in Italy. That's uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's cheaper or more expensive because they've got to be bulls who have never felt the yoke. Uh, uh, this this is the box office smash of the first century BC. Yes, the Aeneid. Hands up, who's read this? Oh, here we go. We've got a hand. That's all I want, just one hand. Thank you. It's an epic poem. It's about the founding of Rome. It's a great story, but it's a total myth. And at NYC. Uh, I read a, a section of this where an Italian king goes to an oracle to hear the gods speak and pays a hundred sheep. But uh, there are gods everywhere in the ancient world. And uh, so um, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of different ways to hear gods speak. So here's a section. This is Aeneas, the hero, and he wants to hear the god Apollo speak. So he goes to Cumae, where there's a cave, and uh, there are a hundred shafts cut into the cave and through that comes the voice of the god. Um, and there's a sibyl, and a sibyl uh, is a bit like a prophet. Uh, the god speaks through the prophet and the sibyl charges um, uh, seven bulls who've never felt the yoke and just as many sheep. That's the price to hear the gods speak. Would you pay that? Well, maybe. It's not a bad deal, actually. So here's what happens uh, when Aeneas wants to hear the god speak. There's a, this is poetry. Ready? Are you ready for some poetry? You've got to feel it. You've got to feel it. There's a cliff at Jumei whose vast flank is cut into a cave with openings to a hundred shafts. Through them rush the Sibyl's answers hundredfold. As they reached the cave, she cried, We must consult the oracle at once. Look! The god is present. At the door, her complexion changed. Her hair sprang loose. She began to pant. Her heart was full of frenzy. She seemed taller and her voice was not a human's, for Apollo was approaching and she felt his breath. So the Sibyl, she tries to fight off the god Apollo. And uh, here's what happens. She spiralled through the cave, trying to force the great god from her mind. But he wore her out still more and forced the seer to his will. On their own, the hundred huge shafts of the cave swung open, wafting out her answers. And the god speaks through this person, but also through all these shafts of the cave. Wouldn't that be freaky? That would be weird. But uh, it's a very famous account of how the gods speak. We have always wanted gods to speak to us. We have always wanted guidance from the gods. We have always wanted assurance from the gods. 
Uh, because if you don't ever hear the gods speak, well, it's very hard to hang in there. It's very hard to hang in there. Have the gods stopped speaking to us? Well, we may as well pack it in. I think we know this from our experience. Have you ever played on, the, on a sporting team? Could you imagine if the coach just blanked you? Well, it's not much point training now if the coach blanks me. What if your lecturer started blanking you? There's not much point studying now. The lecturer's not paying any attention to me. Imagine if your church pastor started blanking you. Why bother going to church anymore? So the book of Hebrews is all about how to hang in there in the Christian life. Maybe better, actually. It's, It's about why you should hang in there in the Christian life. I think that's better. Hebrews is about why you should hang in there in the Christian life, why you should keep following Jesus. Uh, because do you feel like this cat sometimes that is going to show you? Do you ever feel like this? <laughs> Hebrew, if you feel like this, Hebrews is for you. Hebrews is for you, cat. Thank you, <laughs> We start this semester with this one foundational truth. God has spoken. God has spoken. This is a foundational truth. When you feel the fatigue start to set in and maybe the lactic acid is building up as you run hard the Christian life, This is a foundational truth that helps you persevere and it's how the book of Hebrews begins. God has spoken. Do you want God to speak to you? Yeah, well, come and listen. Come and listen. Here's how God has spoken. Uh, It's in your outline tonight. Um, God has spoken by his son, who is the perfect prophet, priest and king. God has spoken by his son, who is the perfect prophet, priest and king. Point one is... um, Uh, what Steve's put as the title. (laughs) This is point one. God has spoken by his son. And so let's begin there. God has spoken by his son. Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews is going to tell you why you should stick with Jesus. And the first reason is that Jesus is the full and the final way that God speaks to us. If you want to hear God speak, listen to Jesus. Uh, But see that God has not always spoken this way. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Here's what... He starts with, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. We've read in Deuteronomy that um, God doesn't speak through fortune tellers. That was pretty strong, wasn't it? Uh, But God has spoken through his prophet Moses. Who are some of the other prophets of the Old Testament? Give me some names. Elijah. Elijah, that's a good one. Who else? Elisha. Well, I heard Habakkuk was was Elisha. Who, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Look, there's so many prophets and in so many different... How else has God spoken apart from the prophets? Fire? How else? Angel messengers. Angels, messengers, yeah. Donkey. donkey. Well, that's a good one. God, if God can speak through a donkey... Yeah, he's spoken in many ways, hasn't he? <laughs> God speaks in many times. God has spoken in many ways and at many times. Um, And it doesn't sound totally different to how Apollo speaks to Aeneas in the cave at Cumine, does it? It's not totally different. I mean, it's not the same, it's not the same, but God spoke to people through a prophet. If you want to hear God speak, you need a prophet. But now, but now, God has spoken differently. And it's much better. Now he has spoken by his son. This is verse 2, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken by his son. 
Now, if you've got your Trinity glasses on, read the creed together, that should be a, the glasses where you put on and you see the Holy Trinity everywhere. God is Trinity. Well, you might be thinking there's a bit of something confusing happening here because what we confessed in the creed is that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all one God. But doesn't it seem like we've got, in verse 2, we've got... God who speaks and the Son through which he speaks. It seems like two separate speakers, like God and Moses, God and the Son. Seems like it, but it's not the case. Because when God speaks in the book of Hebrews, when God speaks, he speaks as Father, Son and Spirit all together. We'll see this as we read the book through this whole semester. But what I think is being described here is the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, is speaking perfectly in the Son. Father, Son and Spirit together speak as we hear the Son speaks. Uh, And the Son, God the Son, is Jesus. Jesus is God the Son. So we've got to listen to Jesus. So notice the tense. The the tense, do you know what I mean? Past, present, future. What tense is this verb? God has spoken. It's past tense. God has spoken, like this guy from The Mandalorian. Have you seen this guy? God has spoken. What he has said, he doesn't need to add anything else. It's all past tense, right? In the words, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God spoke. It's a speaking that is finished. There is no more to be said. But notice also who God has spoken by the Son to. Who has he spoken to? What does it say? He has spoken to us. He has spoken to us. Did you know that God speaks to you? God speaks to you. It seems to me that um, very few Christians in the Western world actually hear a direct voice from God speaking to them. So what does it mean for God to speak to us? I mean, I certainly haven't experienced it. But it doesn't mean that God has not spoken to me. Um, I don't need need to hear my wife Lucy's voice for her to speak to me, do I? It's very easy to hear my wife's voice. She's a very loud person. It's very easy to... (laughs) She speaks to me from any room of the house she's in. She'll just speak to me. It's very easy to hear her voice. But I learned many years ago that uh, we can't read each other's minds. Um, So she has to speak to me somehow. But she doesn't have to use her voice because she can use... A text message. She can use an email. She can't use Snapchat because we're over 30 years old and I don't think that's allowed. But I don't need to hear her voice. I can read her text. God speaks to us by his son and he does so in the scriptures. God speaks in the scriptures. Do you want to hear God speak? Listen to Jesus speak in the scriptures. If you want to hang in there in the Christian life, you need to listen to Jesus. And the next couple of verses tell us why Jesus is worth listening to. Um, It's because he's simply the best. As Tina Turner sang in the golden era of the rugby league, back when the last time high-waisted jeans and mullets were cool. They're cool again now, aren't they? What did she sing? Do you know this song? Simply the best. Better than all the rest. Better than anyone. (laughs) Anyone I've ever met. Jesus is simply the best. That's why he's worth listening to. He is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. And those are our next three points. 
He's the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. That's why Jesus is worth listening to. So first, prophet. Hands up, all the prophets in the room. <coughs> if you're a prophet, hands up. Oh, there's only four of us, are there? If you're a Christian, if you have the spirit, you are a prophet. Your hand should be up. Your hand should be up. Hands up, all the prophets in the room. Oh, there are a bit more. Okay, there we go. That's a bit better. When um, uh, prophets speak the words of God. Prophets speak gospel messages. When you speak the gospel to someone, you are prophesying. You are prophesying. But Jesus, he is the perfect prophet. The one through whom God spoke is the perfect prophet. Now we saw in in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that Moses, the prophet, uh, he spoke of God raising up another prophet like Moses. Maybe one that they would finally listen to. Well, here he is. It's Jesus. Here he is. Uh, So why is Jesus a better prophet than Moses and all the rest? Why is Jesus simply the best? Jesus is the perfect prophet because he doesn't need to mediate God's revelation. He doesn't need to mediate God's revelation. He is God, so reveals God perfectly. What I mean is he is not like the Sibyl in the cave that Aeneas has to go to. He is God. He doesn't have to listen out for God. He is God. And we see this in in two ways from verse 3. I'm going to borrow some words that we confessed in the creed together. The two ways we see Jesus being the perfect prophet, he is light from light and true God from true God. So light from light. Firstly, uh, when God spoke to Moses, Moses' face would shine. It would shine with reflected glory. When we see Jesus, though, his face shines with true divine glory. Chapter 1, look at verse 3 of Hebrews. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. His sun radiates glory. When you listen to the prophets, you see God's glory. Yes, you do. But it's a mediated glory, mediated through Moses. 2 Corinthians calls it veiled. When you listen to Jesus, you see God's glory, and it's not mediated. When you see Jesus, you see the glory of God. This is what the the creed means when it says Jesus is, is light from light. The light that shines from him is the true divine light. The true light of God is the light we see in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect prophet because he perfectly reveals God's glory. He doesn't have to mediate it to us. Light from light. The second way we see Jesus is the perfect prophet. True God from true God. That was another phrase we said in the creed, wasn't it? And uh, last semester we read in John's Gospel, Jesus says, in John chapter 14, the words he's going to put on the screen, he says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. The one who has seen the Son has actually seen the Father, is what he says in John. That's because the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, they all share the one divine nature. They all have the same nature. The Son and the Father share the same divine nature. And so, um, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we'll keep going. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and, here it is, the exact expression of his nature. The, 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 the Father, the Son and the Spirit share the same nature. Moses doesn't share that nature. I don't share that nature. Hands up, everyone who shares the divine nature. No one's been reading to Peter. Okay. 
God the Son, not Moses, can perfectly reveal all we need to know God's divine nature. He is the expression of that nature, the imprint of that nature. Like these coins uh, on the screen, like the imprint of a monarch on a coin, so the Son is the imprint of God's nature on our world. We recognise God's nature because we recognise Jesus. Jesus is worth listening to more than anyone else in the world. And he speaks. So, hang in there. The God of all things really does speak to you in Jesus. He speaks to you whenever you pick up your Bible and read. You don't have to go to a random Italian town and find a cave and find a sibyl and pay her seven bulls and seven sheep. You don't have to do that to connect with God. You don't have to try and interpret some vague oracle. No, you have the scriptures in which God has spoken by his son. Truthfully, clearly, sufficiently. So listen to him. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He is also the perfect priest. Jesus is the perfect priest. Hands up all the priests in the room. Only three of you. Oh, my goodness. Okay, if you put up your hand to say that you are a prophet, you are also a priest. You are also a priest. If you have the Spirit of God and you are a Christian and you follow Jesus, you are a priest. Hands up all the priests in the room. There are a few more. <laughs> Good. Priests access God. That's what priests do. Priests um, mediate God's forgiveness to people. Priests access God. If you have the spirit of God, you have access to God. In Christ, we all have access to God. We all experience God's presence, his forgiveness. We are all priests, says 1 Peter. But Jesus, he is the perfect priest. The one through whom God spoke is the perfect priest. Last term after we read John's Gospel, we, we read through Leviticus together, didn't we? And we saw lots of priests doing lots of sacrifices at the temple so sins could be purified and washed away. That's what the priests were doing. See what Jesus, the perfect priest, does. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Go like halfway through the verse. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus, the perfect priest, he made purification for sins. Can you see how this language is, is comprehensive and it's definitive? Um, just as he has spoken, so too he has made purification for sins. So we don't want to get into this too much because this is a major theme of the book of Hebrews and we'll be digging into this very deeply for the rest of the semester. But what we're talking about, we're talking about Jesus' death on the cross for our in our place for our sins. We're talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking total forgiveness for what you have done wrong. Do you feel, do you feel impure? Jesus has made purification for your sins. He has washed you clean. And see that just as he has spoken and he has made purification for sins, what has he also done? He sat, he sat, sat down. He sat down. Priests in the Old Testament, they never sat down because their work was never done. They had to keep going and going and going. But Jesus has made purification for sins. He has finished. So it can take the weight off a little bit. He sat down. 
So hang in there. Hang in there. One reason the first readers or hearers of Hebrews, one reason they were tempted to pack it in was that they didn't really believe that Jesus had washed away all their sin. They thought they still needed to wash away their sin. And um, maybe you resonate with that. But the perfect priest has made purification for sins. And you can rest in that. So hang in there. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect priest. And he is the perfect king. So hands up all the monarchs in the room. Oh, no one's going for that one. All right. Well, that's a bit trickier. We'll wait for Hebrews chapter 2 to try and work out what to do with that one. Um, but, But Jesus is the perfect king. Perfect prophet, perfect priest. Jesus is the perfect king. The one through whom God spoke, he is the perfect king, the perfect ruler, the perfect ruler, the perfect monarch. And you see it in a bunch of ways in these few verses So first, um, Jesus stands to inherit a cosmic kingdom. He does. Chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things. The Son is heir of all things. Uh, My mum owns an apartment in Sydney. I know, real estate is very expensive there. So, you know... When she dies, my brother and I stand to inherit an apartment. But that doesn't make us kings of the apartment, does it? Because we still have laws and we still we still have a monarch. I think we saw that picture before, didn't we? That's her, isn't it? We still got her, so we don't become kings of our apartment. <laughs> uh, Jesus' inheritance. Perhaps it's more like Prince Charles's inheritance when his mum dies. He inherits a kingdom. Jesus' inheritance is more than Prince Charles' inheritance because um, Jesus doesn't, ha- does, doesn't stand to inherit the British Commonwealth, does he? He, instead, he stands to inherit, well, what did it say? All things. All things. Wow, that's um, big. And uh, how does Jesus rule over such a vast kingdom? Well, he made it. He made it. Pick it up in verse 2. Heir of all things. And God made the universe through him. God made the universe through him. In the beginning, God said, Genesis 1, he spoke and everything was created, all things. And by his speaking, he sustains all things as well. Look at maybe one third of the way through verse 3. Through verse 3 is the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. God spoke in the beginning to create all things. He speaks in the present to sustain all things. And he has spoken in the Son about all things necessary for salvation and godliness. So hang in there. Go to our last point, hanging in there. Because uh, isn't it hard to hang in there as a Christian sometimes? It's hard to keep following Jesus. Sometimes when you feel, sometimes when you struggle to feel God's presence with you, it's hard to follow Jesus. Sometimes 
when you feel the weight of guilt and shame, it's hard to follow Jesus. Sometimes when your life feels out of control, it's hard to follow Jesus. But know that when you struggle to feel God's presence, he has spoken to you by his perfect prophet. When you are burdened by the weight of guilt and shame, he has made purification for sins by the perfect priest. And when your life feels out of control, well, he has spoken by the perfect king who rules and sustains all things. All things. Jesus isn't like the lecturer or the coach that blanks you. If it feels like you're running out of steam in the Christian life, my question is, are you listening to Jesus in the scriptures? Because uh, do you know what Tina Turner sings in, uh, in her song, Simply the Best? She says, I hang on every word you say. From the chorus. I hang on every word you say. Let's listen to Jesus. Here is how Hebrews begins to build a foundation for, for perseverance in the Christian life. Here is how Hebrews helps you follow Jesus on campus or at work by telling you this core truth, God has spoken by his son. So listen to him. Friends, he's worth listening to because he speaks truth and grace to our tired souls. Let me pray for us. In a minute, we'll, we'll do some question time. I'll take some questions. Let me pray. Loving Father, thank you for speaking to us by your Son. Please give us ears to hear. Give us humility to truly listen. And by your grace, may we cling to Jesus. Amen. Friends, we normally do a question time at the, uh, after the Bible talk. Um, there are two ways to ask questions. Firstly is on your subject outline. There's a QR code. You know what QR codes are by now, I'm sure. You know how to use them. And uh, if you scan this, that will take you to a, a Google form that you can leave your details. You can say, hello, I've been here. You can ask a question and I'll get back to you during the week. Um, so now's the time to whip out your phone and do that. If that's how you would prefer to ask a question, please do that, write it down. The other way that you can ask a question is, uh, as others are filling out the form, stick your hand up now and I'll have a go at answering. So, well, we've already got a question, Liz, yes. What a question, yeah. Wasn't, first of all, wasn't Jesus already superior to the angels? Hmm. Come back next week. Yeah, good question. That's the question that the rest of chapter one answers. Yeah, yeah any more questions, Karis? Yeah. Um, I also have a bit of a hard question. Well, maybe it's not, but it's tricky in my head. Okay. Um, it says that, like, we've made a point that God has spoken through Jesus. Mm. But in the creed, we also confess we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. When Jesus comes back, yeah. will he be mute? Like, <laughs> like, um, or is it that Jesus, God, has spoken all we need for these last times? Or, yeah. Mm. It says God has spoken yeah. by his son. Has Jesus run out of words? <laughs> has he maxed out his vocabulary? Uh, I don't think it means that. I think... Um, uh, I'll, I'll mention this one thing. I think um, uh, we see the, the triune God speaking in Hebrews. Let me show you how. Chapter 1, verse 5. To which of the angels did he, God, perhaps I think the Father, 
ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. I think this picturing the father speaking to the son. He has spoken. So the father speaks. Chapter 2, verse 5. No, not that one. Chapter 2, verse 12. Let's go from chapter 2, verse 11. The one who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are sanctified, us, all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, oh, Jesus is now speaking. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. He's quoting Psalm 22. The father spoke in the scriptures. The son spoke in the scriptures. Chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, he goes on to quote Psalm 95. The father spoke in the scriptures. The son spoke in the scriptures. The spirit says in the scriptures. He is speaking now. And I think the word that the spirit speaks is the word that the son spoke. The spirit speaks now, but uh, not a new word, the word that the son spoke. And I think that... Mm. Uh, it's not referring to a word, you know, like four letters, that kind of word. I think that's referring to a word such as the word that I have spoken tonight, which contains many words. A message. A message, thank you. That's another good way to do it. Uh, and so, no, I don't think that um, uh, the son has no nothing else to say, but I think what, uh, what the point of uh, Hebrews chapter 1 is for us is you don't need any more of God's speech because you have enough. You have it all. It is sufficient. What God spoke, what God communicated, there's the word I want, what God communicated in Jesus is sufficient for life and salvation and godliness. I think that's what it means, by, by completeness. That's a yeah, good question. There's another one, mate. How should we respond if someone says they have received a verbal word from God? What a good question. The first thing you need to do is listen to all the MYC talks from last week. (laughs) That will help you. And the question times. Uh, How do you respond if someone says they have received a a word from God? Um, My friend Sam once told me that God spoke to him. Uh, He was talking about hitchhiking. Don't hitchhike, please. But anyway, my friend Sam was hitchhiking. And... As Sam told the story, uh, he said, God, God told me to hail down this particular car that was passing. So he did. The car stopped. They had a great gospel conversation. And that was excellent. Um, but I was a bit curious because I, I, I wanted to hear more about God telling him to do this. So I asked him, how did God speak to you? And what, what he described was an inclination, an impulse, a feeling, maybe an instinct. This is the car to hail down. He didn't hear a direct word. Uh, And I suspect that, I suspect that mostly when people say they heard God speak or God has told them to do something, mainly that's what they're referring to, I think. An inclination, a feeling, perhaps even their own thoughts, that's what I think mainly people are referring to. Uh, Which is not to say that God is not pushing someone in that direction, I'm sure he can, Um, but but there are lots of other reasons why you might have a feeling or an inclination. And so I think that's slightly less trustworthy. Um, uh, That is not to say that God cannot speak directly to people. I can't see any reason why 
That is the case in the book of Acts. There are four or five times where the Spirit says, quote, and the Spirit is quoted in the book of Acts. Uh, 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 but that is a very unique occurrence. Uh, when that happens in the scriptures, God doesn't do that for mundane things like, what car should I buy? God does that for significant things like, you should take the gospel to this place. Or one of the things he says is, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for mission, that kind of thing. So if you expect God to speak directly to you, I think that you're setting yourself up for disappointment. If God speaks directly to you, well, fantastic. Good, good for you. That's great. Um, but I can't see any reason why we should expect him to. This is a long answer. What, what was the question? What would you say to someone who says, God spoke to me? I think the first thing I'd want to know is, what do you mean God spoke to you? Do you mean God spoke to you like with words? Or did he speak to you in some other way? And um, can I make this suggestion, please? If you want to say that God gave you an inclination to do something, can you please say that rather than God told me to do something? Because words mean what words mean, right? And told means spoke to you. And if God didn't speak to you, it is a confusing thing to say that God spoke to you. And the serious, there's a real reason. It's not just that I'm pedantic and what words to mean what they mean. But when you say, God told me to do such and such, I think that you are in danger of sanctifying your own desires, by which I mean claiming divine authority for something I want to do. If I have a desire to buy a new guitar, which I do almost all the time, <laughs> and I interpret that as God giving me that desire, and I say, God told me to buy a new guitar, um, you can't question that. God told me to. You can't question God. Do you see what I mean? That's a silly example, um, but that's the danger I see in speaking that way. So I'd want to know, what do you mean God told you to do something? Or what do you mean God spoke to you? And um, if they mean that God spoke to them directly and it is some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of word or speech that aligns with the scriptures, perhaps quotes the scriptures, um, then celebrate with them because that's cool. That's a good question, Maggie. All right, I'm going to go one more. There it is already, Tom. Can I ask two questions? Two questions. <laughs> Make it a part, part A and part B then. Um, part A following on from that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, knowing that it's a, a quite a rare circumstance, how could you, if you had, say, inclination, how could you then say that with some sort of confidence and not wanting to say something that's not actually coming from God? Like, Yeah, so are you asking, if I have an inclination, how do yeah. I know if it's from God or from me yeah. or from Satan? Yeah, or, yeah, and how could you have confidence saying it? Yeah, how could you have confidence yeah, saying it? Yeah, Sam said yeah. inclination from yeah, God. Yeah. How could you com have confidence without wanting to pretend like you know what God's? Yeah, yes. How can you confidently say God gave me this inclination or feeling or thought or whatever? I think that's very difficult to do uh, uh, because I have lots of thoughts and inclinations. They, and they come from my own heart, my own desires. What does Jeremiah say? Chapter 19, is it? The heart is deceitful above all else. One thing my heart is very good at is tricking me into thinking my desires are good. 
One thing that our culture actually is very good at is tricking us into thinking that our desires are good and that it is good for me to fulfil my own desires. Um, and that makes me very nervous to suggest that God has given me this desire. Um, that is not to say that there are not good desires. There are good desires. What does Paul say to Timothy in 1 Timothy? If someone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. That right? If you desire to be on the student committee, then great. That's that's a good thing to desire. There are good things to desire. So he's, I, I think that, uh, to answer the question, how do you know where the desire actually originates from? It's probably um, where the desire is going to, where the desire is aimed at. If you desire, if I, <laughs> if I desire a new guitar um, uh, for my own selfish ends so that I can keep it at my house and play it for fun. Uh, where is that desire aimed? That desire is aimed truly and squarely at me. Uh, but if you have a desire to join the student committee so that you can serve the Christian fellowship community, then that seems to me like that desire is aimed towards God, it's aimed towards his church, it's aimed towards good things. So I think it's the direction that your desire is aimed in. That might give you a, a pretty good clue. There are other things too, like ask you've, you've got a You've got a Christian community, ask them, hey, I'm thinking of buying a new coffee machine. Do you think that's selfish? And you should always say yes to that, by the way, when I ask you that, which I will. Please, please tell me that it's selfish for me to buy new coffee machines and guitars. All right, good. And part two? Um, so you mentioned... Yeah. If we're all prophets, should we not be prophesying? Yeah. Or yeah. What's the difference between that and prophecy? There are a couple of ways that the scriptures seem to talk about prophecy. There are the Old Testament prophets. God speaks directly to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel speaks God's words to the people. Um, uh, I think uh, when we come to the New Testament, the way that God speaks is not directly to Ezekiel, but he speaks. How does he speak, everyone? By his son. Good, good. God speaks by his son, I think. And uh, I've got this here. This is how God speaks to me. And I can speak God's words to you and prophesy. And I would suggest that that's what I've been doing for the past 25 minutes, prophesy. Um, part of what I've been doing. Um, uh, uh, after after UniChurch finishes and Karis sends us on our way, um, you can prophesy to people. You can tell them the things you've been reading in the scriptures. You can tell them what God has been teaching you over the break. You can um, you, uh, you can say, this is what I learned at NYC. I think all of that could be prophesying, speaking gospel words, because uh, Revelation chapter, where did we find it? 19, I think. Um, the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Christ is what prophecy is all about. I don't think that changes between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think the Old Testament prophets are testifying to and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, when we prophesy, testify to and about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'll leave it at that because prophecy is almost an entire NYC in itself, isn't it? And so if you want to follow up on that question, ask me later. Or go and find some of the question times online from NYC. All right, I'm going to call it there. And... Uh, um, uh, there are some pretty heavy things to talk about, so we're going to sing a song. Is that correct? We're going to sing a song to help us. Well, no, we're not. Lily's going to sing a song. To help
help us reflect on the truths of the scriptures that we've heard God speak tonight.